Hey everyone, this is Doug Birch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. It's been a terrible week in America. Uh, we had a tragedy in Las Vegas where 59 people were murdered by gun violence. 527 people shot, injured, and that's half a thousand people. It's just, you can't even wrap your mind around such senseless violence. Today we're going to talk about why evil exists in the world. Why would a good God allow for evil to exist in the world? And is hell a place? More to come. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. You're the only one worth living for. So I'm dreams with you well as always i'd like to thank you for listening to the fairly spiritual show you can uh, subscribe to us on itunes you can go to fairlyspiritual.org to find out more information uh so i just finished a series an 18 part series on a book i just wrote and i was going to move the show into some fun territory where uh, a different format uh, just kind of play around with what we're going to do with this show but uh, because of the events this week that happened in Las Vegas, uh, I, I just can't do that yet. I used to do a radio show for five years. I did 1,200 shows. It was uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. in the Seattle area. It was live, and part of that live show is sometimes terrible news would, would happen right before the show went on the air. And I would do humorous segments. I would go through the daily news and give give little quibs and jokes about things and uh, some terrible thing would happen in the news, and then I would go on the air, and, and we would try to process things together. And you couldn't just go on as if everything was normal. And although uh, this is a recorded show, and uh, I'll put one out probably once a week or twice a week, I, I just I just didn't want to move on. Uh, so today, though, I don't want to be reactionary as well. Uh, when, when a tragedy occurs, uh, it's very important to let people process things however they want to process it. Uh, when people don't have control over something, uh, they get angry. Here, here's what happens when we don't have control. We get angry, we get anxious, we get depressed. These are all expressions of a lack of control. And that's what we all feel at some level. When someone murders uh, 59 people or begins to just shoot indiscriminately into a cr crowd of 20,000 people, um, there's a sense of, is anyone safe? Is there any place where I can... Is there any peace in this world? Is there any place of protection? What's my future? What's my present? There's a sense of everything being out of control. And so when things are out of control, you get angry because you can't control it. You get anxious because you can't control it. You get depressed because what's the use? You can't control it. And so there's a lot of expressions 
of people trying to gain control. And we gain control uh, sometimes just through expressing our anger, expressing our anxieties, expressing our depression. We also gain control by maybe doing stuff that brings control, where maybe we can do things, put policies in place to change the system. And I'm not going to talk about that today, although I think it's very appropriate to have the dialogue. And here's the deal. If you think nothing should be changed and you think everything is fine, then you still should allow people to have the dialogue. And that's one of the things with with any area. People who say, you know, race relations are fine. If you think race relations are fine, then you should allow people who don't think they're fine to talk. You should have no problem whatsoever for people to say whatever they want about how things are not fine if you think everything's fine. And it's the same. If you think there should be no gun regulations changed, if you think everything is great, then you should have no problem whatsoever listening to people who think change should occur. So to me, we should facilitate environments where people can have real discussions that we don't just shut down. We can't have that context where we're going to threaten people. We're going to say, if you begin to talk this way, you're no longer an American, or I'm not going to talk to you, or I'm going to block you. I shouldn't be afraid that if I said the wrong opinion about gun control, uh, you would no longer listen to this program. That's, that, to me, is a pathetic dialogue. And that's where we've gotten as a nation, where we literally are afraid to say things that, that we will question someone as an American, we'll question them as a Christian uh, if they have a differing view on how to handle uh, gun issues or just how to express things. That if someone would say, hey, I think we need to do something, I think we need to change some of our gun policies that will go after them, that people get to express what they want to express in times of crisis. Now with that though, I might express something, you might express something, I can't control you. I can, I can say it, you can get upset at me, and I can't get upset at you for getting upset at me. The reality is everyone's trying to process things the best they know how. So I don't want to do a show that's just uh, in, in that realm. Uh, I don't want to even say reactionary because that sounds wrong. I, I just want to talk about something that hopefully will last beyond today and this week. And I want to talk about the problem of evil. Because this is something as a pastor that people have uh, uh, talked to me about. Often people who talk about why they don't want to follow God, why they don't believe in God, why they don't trust God. It's the problem of evil. And this is a problem we have in Christianity because there's many Christians who will gather together in ecumenical settings who have very different views of how God operates in the world. There are some people with a view of God where God is sovereign in such a way that humans really have no choice, that God ultimately just puts everything in motion, and we are, in their theological construct, we are just more like pawns on some sort of a chessboard. And I know they wouldn't phrase it in that way, but God is in complete control, that we have no real ability to make decisions. On the other side, there's this view that God really has no control and humans make all the decisions, and then there's people somewhere in the middle. I think there's a reality, there's a mystery to all of this, and it's pure arrogance to think that I have it all figured out. If I have God all figured out, then I'm bigger than God. I think that's just a logical assumption, right? If I can tell you this is exactly who God is, these are the three things you need to know about God, here's my little theological construct that tells you who God is, if I can limit God to that, then I've made myself bigger than God, and there's a problem. I've made myself too big, and I've made God too small. I can never stand outside of God and observe God as if he's in the Petri dish. I am always within God in this sense that God is always greater than me, bigger than me. I am always within this world that he has created. He abides outside me, but I never abide outside of him. 
So within that context, I'm going to share these thoughts on, on the problem of evil and how I see things uh, from my view of the Bible and just from my view of how I process the Bible and I process the world. And I'm hoping maybe it'll help some of you who struggle with the problem of evil in the world. Why, why would a good God allow for evil to occur in this world? And the first thing I want to start at is the issue of love. Uh, for me, I believe that love requires choice. For there to be a loving relationship, it requires that I can say yes. And we know this in any human relationship, any human relationship, and unless our love with God is different than any human relationship, unless it's completely different, unless the best relationships we have on earth are completely different, built on a completely different foundation, now, there's an aspect of our relationship with God that's different in that God is faithful and God doesn't fail us, and that God is God is love in the sense that he will never fail us, he'll never sin against us, he'll never hurt us, he'll never harm us, that, that God is true to his word, that God is holy. There is an aspect where God is different than humans. But I'm talking about that that literally if the way we define love on earth the way we define love between humans, if it is so radically different between humans than God, then there's an aspect where we don't know God at all and we don't know love at all. Because any loving relationship, let's say between a husband and a wife, or between a parent and their children, at some level is rooted in choice. That we know we love someone not because we have to, but because we've chosen to love them. That, that my wife said yes to me. She made solemn vows and said yes to me. And I made solemn vows and said yes to her. That if someone came to her and said, why do you love Doug? And she just said, well, I don't really have any choice. I just have to. It's completely out of my choice. I'm just, I was just programmed that way. I just have to love him. Doesn't really matter. It's just something I have to do. That's not love. And even although we're married and we value the covenant of marriage, I would hate it if she said, well, you know, the main reason I love him is we're married. And what are you going to do? You got to stick with that covenant. The reality is I, I would get out of it, but the law says I got to stay married. My kids, although my kids biologically, they're mine, or if you're in an adoption setting, there's an adoption that allows for that, that unity. You don't want your kids just to say, well, well, why do you love your parents? Well, you know, I have to. Biologically, you know, I got it. You want them to say that although, you know, this is my birth parent, or although these are my adopted parents, the, the reason I love them is because I chose to love them because of this genuine relationship that we built. In any earthly relationship, there's choice. Love allows me to draw close or to draw away. Love allows me to receive or to reject. And we also know that the most wicked expressions on earth are coercion expressions. Rape and violence and murder and any kind of any kind of wicked evil expression on earth almost always comes down to an issue of control. A man controlling a woman, you know, forcing her not to leave the house not to, you know, forcing forcing your kids to do things they don't want to do, forcing your spouse to do things she doesn't want to do, forcing your friends, obligating people, churches that make people do stuff based on laws and rules and regulation, uh, you know, whether it's coercion, whether it's imprisonment. You can think from the worst 
to the most subtle, every area where someone builds a relationship on anything but choice is almost always wicked. I can't think of expressions where it's not wicked. Even when you choose to do something because you don't feel like it, it's still a choice. It might be, I don't really feel loving towards this person, but I'm going to choose to love them. So in every human relationship, we talk about love in forms of choice. I'm, I'm going to choose to love you. I, I might be angry at you now, but I'm going to choose to love you. But it's not, you have to love me. And so I believe God has set up that same thing with us. He's, that's why it's in us. That's why we believe that on earth. That's why in these relationships between humans, that's why it's so important. We're modeling this ultimately pure relationship that God created, that God created us from an expression of his love. He is love. And he, he took of himself and he formed us and created us. And he gave us the ability to love him in return. He loved us from the beginning. He has loved us first. He has loved us always. But because he is love, he gave us the ability to love him in return. If he had not given us the ability to love him in return, it wouldn't be love. Now, here's the deal. If God gives us the ability to love him, he also gives us the ability not to love him. If God gives us the ability to obey him, then he must also give us the ability not to obey him. That means for there to be choice, he must give us the ability to say yes and to say no. If there's no ability to say no, then there's no choice. That's to me why in the garden with Adam and Eve, and, and by the way, if you believe there's actually a garden with Adam and Eve, and, and that's a literal story, or you believe it's a figurative story telling us about something that's deeper than we can understand, both of those things are exactly what you need to know to know about God. I just choose to believe it's an exact story, but it doesn't matter how you see it, whether you see it as a figurative story that tells something deeper than we can understand, or you see it as an exact story of what exactly happened. Either way, it's exactly what we need to know for how humans were formed, how God views us, and how love exists, and how the fall exists, and how sin came into the world. That's the beauty of it. Whether it's completely poetic or whether it's completely literal, it's exactly what you need to know literally to understand our relationship to God and our relationship with one and another. So the question is, why does God put Adam and Eve in the garden with a, a tree with forbidden fruit? And this tree is, and it's, it's interesting, it says don't eat from this tree, and the tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That, that doesn't seem like a bad tree, right? The knowledge of good and evil? If we made a Hollywood movie, what would we say? Don't eat from the tree of death and darkness and wickedness and murderous rage. That would be the tree that we would make. But God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ultimately, that's a tree of choice. It's just, why, why are they told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And by the way, maybe later on, God would have said, okay, you can eat from that tree now. But from the beginning, it was like, don't eat from that tree. That tree, what does that represent? If it's literally the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's that from this tree, you'll have your own knowledge of what is right and wrong so you can make your own choices without listening to me. Why would you need your own knowledge of what is right and wrong? Why? If you wanted to go your own way, if you wanted to make your own choices, if you wanted to do other than what God wanted you to do. If you trusted God, if you followed him, if you just said, I'm, I, you're my creator, I'm an expression of you, you made me, you formed me, I am 
my goal is I've been made in your image, so I'm going to image your will on earth. I don't need the knowledge of what's right and wrong. I will do what you've called me to do. Then you don't need to eat from that tree. But if you want to take what God has created, that you've been created in his image and you've been made fruitful to multiply and have dominion, and you want to use that for yourself, then you need your own knowledge of what's right and wrong so you can make your own decisions. So you can do something other than God's will. So God placed in the beginning the opportunity to do something other than his will. Because he's loving, he gave us the opportunity to do something other than his will. And I believe for all eternity, if we hadn't had that option, there would have been a part of humanity who would have been like, do we really love God? I don't know. We never had an option other than to love God. We never had a choice. I guess we love him. There was never uh, another way we could have gone. It'd be like if there was only, you know, we, if you only have one option, you don't know if you made the best choice. So God, in his great love, gave us choice. He made us powerful, wonderfully powerful. He didn't make us weak and anemic. People who start off with how weak and anemic and terrible humans are, a theology that starts with how we're just these depraved, worthless human beings, the Bible doesn't start that way. The Bible starts with humans are made in, in God's image. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. In our image, let us make him male and female, that we are made powerful. And then we're, we're blessed with capacity to, to be fruitful, to multiply and have dominion. We're so powerful that when we sin, God says, now they are like us, and God limits us and puts death upon us and makes it hard for us to procreate, makes it hard for us to be fruitful, and he frustrates our languages at the Tower of Babel because when we're united together, we're dangerous and we work against the plans of God. God made humans incredibly powerful and incredibly dangerous, and we were made to image him on earth and to be expressions of his glory and his beauty, but he is so loving that he didn't force us just to follow him. He said, you can love me in return. You can choose to follow me in return, or you can choose to do other. And instead of following him, we chose to do other. And that is ultimately at the root of all evil. For there to be love, there must be the choice not to love. There must be the choice. I, I, I do not see a way around this. That God did not create us as weak, anemic, worthless People who just kind of, whatever, you know, we just, we have no knowledge of anything. We have no authority. We have no power. We have no dominion. We just, we're just mindless, brainless pawns on the chessboard of life. And God sovereignly just moves us around at his whim. And someday we'll be with him in heaven or in hell, depending upon what he decides. That simply is not what is laid out in the Old Testament. And I don't believe it's what's laid out in the New Testament as well. Instead, the Bible starts out with God made these miraculously wonderful, powerful human beings, and then he gave us the choice to pursue him or to pursue our own knowledge. And in pursuing our own knowledge, immediately we became hostile to the things of God and we became incredibly dangerous. And we began to work against the plans of God. But God is so loving that he didn't just completely wipe out all of humanity. He allowed us and he allows us to exist, made in his image, marring his image, destroying his image, corrupting his image, using our created capacity for our own selfish desires, doing great harm. He still allows us to exist because of his great grace and kindness, wooing us with his love, 
that we would come back to him and make a choice to follow him and pursue him and seek his grace and love and kindness. That's the love of God. To me, I see it in this way, that the problem of sin, why there's sin and wickedness in this world, is there's love in this world, that God has allowed us to love him and allowing us to love him he allows us to make terrible choices. And I've met people who they're like, well, I, I just don't, I can't follow a God who, allow, who would allow evil to happen. And then they're mad at God. And they'll, they'll say things like this to me. That's why I just can't come to church. And I'll say, you know, the fact that God is allowing you not to come to church is the same logic for why you don't like evil in the world. Is God making you go to church? I'm like, no. Is God making you worship him? No. Well, God doesn't make people not do evil things. It's the same logic. God doesn't make you worship him. God doesn't make you give your first fruit to him. God doesn't make you uh, offer, you don't, like, when you're working, your money doesn't just disappear and go to the poor and the widows and the elderly. Uh, you get to keep it. You get to make a choice. But we say these things like, yeah, but a good God would not allow for these evil things to happen. But God allows for us to make all kinds of choices that are harmful to ourselves, harmful to others. Even our anger towards God is him allowing us to actively disengage from him. And so we use that same logic. We'll say, I wish that God wouldn't allow evil to occur in the world, and that's why I'm not serving God. Not serving God is how God allows for evil to occur in the world. So you can't have it both ways. You can't have the freedom to not serve God and then wish that God would not allow for evil to happen in the world. So then we say, well, I don't want some evil to happen in the world, but some evil I do. I want him to eliminate these evils, but these other evils I don't. I want him to, to el eliminate those things, but these things to be okay. But the reality is God is just in all evil. He's allowed humans to just go their own way. He's allowed us in his great love to use our created capacity to do our own thing or to serve him. There's mystery in these things, I get it, but to me, there's a logic to God's love. To me, these things come down to Romans 1.18, the passage where, where Paul says, we're, we're not, you know, sometimes people talk about, well, we're just... There's evil in the world because Adam and Eve sinned and we're just depraved and we can't do any better. I don't think that's what the scripture says. Uh, you know, Paul talks about that there's evil in the world because each of us have purposely decided to serve ourselves instead of to serve God. And you look at this in Romans 1, 18. Romans 1, 18, uh, if you turn in your, in your iPhone to Romans 1, 18, Again, if you're driving in the car, you really need to pour, pull the car over here. Uh, if you're jogging, um, you know, maybe uh, I'll let you do what you want. You are free to do what you want here. Okay, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. By the way, the wrath of God, what is that? Like lightning bolts? Is it punishment? Is it plagues? What is the wrath of God here in this context? The wrath of God in this context is that God says, as you wish, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. I'm going to let you get what you want. You want to be left alone? I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to let you use all your creative capacity to build your own kingdoms, to do your own things, and to receive the fruit of that kind of life. That's the wrath of God. 
But he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So, so God's wrath is on people because they clearly know God. It's plain to them but they've suppressed it. So this is what he says, for his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what does Paul say has happened here? This has happened not just in the beginning, but for every person. But he says, we are all without excuse. The wrath of God is on every person at some level. We're all without excuse because he says, we have suppressed the knowledge of God because the invisible attributes of God, the eternal power and the divine nature of God have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Now, some people say this is why, you know, uh, Eskimos or why non-reached indigenous people are responsible to the gospel because they, you know, they see the mountain and they should know God. I don't think that's what, what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is, you know, that you are created by God. You know that you image God. Uh, you're, you are created by God and you are a creation that expresses his eternal power and his divine nature. You know that, that you're different, and you either suppress that reality or you embrace that reality and worship the one that created you. And Paul follows this track. And so what happened? Humans began to worship idols and turn God into snakes and into animals and into creatures. But we know through us that he created us with this nature that expresses his divine attributes and his eternal powers. And we've suppressed that knowledge. And instead of worshiping the creator, we've worshiped the created, which is us. We worship ourselves. We do what Adam and Eve have done. We say, "Ah, no, I got this figured out. I'm going to use the, I'm going to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to use my created power to worship myself. It's all about me now. It's all about me. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to use my created capacity. I'm going to worship myself. To me, the problem of evil in the world is the problem of choice. We have choice. And we've been given choice, and instead of worshiping God, instead of worshiping the creator, we've used our created capacity, and we worship ourselves. And we serve ourselves. And we use the gifts that God has given us instead of to serve him, to serve ourselves, and we use it for power. And you see it in every area, like in churches. You know, we, we see people who started ministers, who started ministries where, where God did great things through them. And then their church began to grow. And then they begin to use that growth that God had created, and they begin to use it to serve themselves and not to serve God. And they begin to use it to get money or power or fame or fortune. 
they begin to serve the created instead of the creator. You see the sin happen over and over again in the Old Testament where, where the followers of God begin to lose sight of God doing the work and begin to think it's about them. They begin to think uh, how clever they are versus praising God. Even entering into the promised land, they begin to serve the, the, the goods and the, the stuff of the promised land than the one who brought them into the promised land. Why does evil exist in the world? Because humans have free will. and We've chosen to follow ourselves and to serve the created instead of serving the creator. And that's the wrath of God as God has said, as you wish, I'm going to let you do that. And so we abide within that wrath. The fruit is our own destruction. Not caused by God, it's God allowing us to live out the lives that we say we want to live. To me, this is important because people who, who blame God for this, who say, you know, humans don't have free will and, and God plans everything and God does everything, then it makes God the murderer. It makes God the one who causes the mass shootings. It makes God the one who causes the rapes. It makes God the one who causes the murders. And I just, I can't serve a God like that. And I know I disagree with others and I, I know there's different ways to say this theologically, but for me, I just can't do that. To me, that makes God a monster. It does. It's just, to me, it makes God a monster. And also there's theologies that make it where God picks some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, and it has humans have no say in that. And I, I, can't, I can't follow that logic. To me, God loves us, and he gives us the choice to serve him or not serve him. And I believe God made us incredibly powerful, and he made us so powerful that we have choice. The very nature of how humans are created, that we have so much power uh, that he can't control us. To, to, he can't force us to love him. He can't force us to serve him. He created us that way. He created us that we have to choose to love him. And that's where I come to this last point of hell. Uh, you know, lately there's been a lot of talk that there might not be hell. And again, I'm not trying to argue for hell in the sense of like, there needs to be a hell because... I, you know, if, if, if God decided there was no hell or, and I was wrong on that, you know, God is God. I'm, I'm not, this is not why I'm talking about this because I have some agenda. When you read through uh, the New Testament, you don't find a lot of scriptures that say, hey, don't worry about the choices you make in life. It's going to be okay for everyone. You just don't find that. Whatever your view of hell is, there's clear warning after clear warning that some people face a different consequence than others that some face weeping and gnashing and others don't. Some face torment and others don't. But what I've heard people say is, well, well, you know, a loving God would not have a hell. That's what they say. There's, and I just want to say why that's not really an accurate statement. Here, here's, here's how you can escape this. If there's no hell, then God has allowed for this time of choice for no reason. Because right now we have choice, right? God is allowing choice so we can choose to love him or not love him. We can make a choice. So throughout all eternity, we can say, I chose you. You didn't force me to be with you, Lord. I chose you. But if we never choose him, right? If Regardless of we, we could just hate him and never choose him, and he still forces us to go to heaven with him, then there's no reason for choice. And there's no reason to allow for a rapist to rape and for a molester to molest and for the terrible things that happen to happen. 
There's no reason. So it doesn't make God any more just. It doesn't make God any more holy. It doesn't make God any more righteous. Do you understand the logic there? I just, I just, I, I, I want to humbly say this as best I can, because I've seen people, they say, I, if I just remove hell, then God suddenly becomes more loving, right? Because, you know, a loving God wouldn't punish anyone. And But here's the problem. That means that all the terrible things that have happened, like the terrible things that are happening right now, they're happening for no reason. But I believe that God has allowed the terrible things that are happening right now, the horrible things that are happening, the horrible things that that you just can't even think about, that there's a part of his love that he's allowed humans to be created incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. We, we are more powerful than any other created being. He made us in his image. He made us to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. He gave us such tremendous authority. And then he gave us choice. He gave us choice to serve him or not to serve him. He said, I love you. I, I, I made you the most beautiful expression of anything I could make. I, I made you an expression of my image. And now I'm giving you the opportunity to love me in return. I'm giving you the opportunity to come back to me. Or you can choose to take this created power and you can do your own thing. That to me is the mystery of love. And in giving us that choice, great wickedness has occurred. Now, if we have no choice, then all the great wickedness that is occurring right now is just for no reason. It doesn't matter. So for me, hell is an expression of love. I, I, I don't think it's pitchforks and I don't think it's those sorts of things. I just think hell is an expression of for people who would not make a choice. That God gave the choice. God said, you can love me in return. I died for your sins. I died for you. I, I gave you the opportunity to come back to me. And you chose not to. So hell is like God's wrath on earth. Hell is as you wish. If you don't want me, I'm not going to make you have me. There comes a point, and this is at least what the Bible says. There comes a point where, okay, you don't want me. I'm not going to make you have me. That's it. You won't have me. And so hell is a removing of, because even right now we live in a world where there's aspects of God's glory and God's goodness that cover this earth. And hell is a removal of that. It's the absence of that. It's a place where people cannot enter into any of that goodness. And people argue about what that looks like and whether people would be able to escape that or not. But I can't, I can't preach a theoretical thing. Like I can't, the Bible just doesn't say that. It doesn't give warnings to that. It doesn't say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. And, and I couldn't, I mean, in good conscience, I could never do that. I could, I want the person right now who is, I'm just, okay, I, I gotta say it. I want the person right now 
who is molesting their daughter to understand that the consequences of their behavior and their choice not to come to God and to repent can lead to eternal death. I don't want to appease somehow my concerns about some theoretical concept of eternal judgment. For what I know the scripture has put, that there are warnings. That Jesus can look at us and say, I never knew you, depart from me. So I bring this up, that there is a problem of evil in the world. Now, I wasn't motivated to come to God because of hell. I was motivated to come to God because of love. And that's the whole reason for all of us. That we were created by God and made in his image and life and existence only has meaning in being connected with the one who created us, that we are created from God, from the stuff of God, and our life has no meaning and value outside of him. And it's not just for my sins to be forgiven, but it's for me to be human, to be restored to God and in right relationship. So there's evil in the world, and there's garbage in the world, and I'm going to try to be light and life in the world, and so are you. And I'm going to try to bring people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I too am going to be, I don't understand, Lord. And there's so many things I don't understand. And I'm going to pray that ever everyone is saved. And I'm never going to assume that anyone is going to hell or wish anyone that fate. And I'm going to stand before God and believe that everything he does is good. From an eternal perspective, I'm not going to be standing before him and going, Oh, you sure did this wrong. He'll make sense of it all. And if I'm wrong on something, I will gladly, joyfully, gleefully be excited in how wrong I was and how right God is. These are my thoughts. Most importantly, I want to tell you, may the peace of God rest upon you. May the comfort of God guide you. And may you know that you're dearly loved. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. Well, hopefully next week we'll have a little lighter show here. A little less hell, okay? All right. Hey, uh, hey! if you'd like to pick up my book, a lot of these topics actually I address early on in my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. It's available on Amazon. There's also an audible version as well. Uh, you can go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org, or subscribe to it on iTunes. This theme song is by my brother, Dan. You can pick it up on iTunes as well. All right, I'll see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my dreams with you